Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. This podcast is a Royfield Brown production. Find others on iTunes. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, please remain standing for the singing of our national anthem. Brexit means Brexit. My administration has accomplished more than almost any administration in the history of our country. Welcome to Mid-Atlantic, the podcast where we delve into the latest political developments with expert analysis and diverse perspectives from both sides of the Atlantic. Today, I have a juggernaut of a team to discuss the recent indictment of Donald J. Trump. Joining me, Royful Brown in Birmingham, we have Emma Burnell, a UK-based journalist in London, Z. Cohen Sanchez, a political strategist in Nevada, Logan Phillips, a political pollster who's just come back from his holiday in Greece. I believe he set the place ablaze, but he's actually in DC. We have Denise Hamilton, a diversity speaker and a TED Talk badass in Houston. And bringing up the rear, we have Doug Levy. He's back It's Doug 2.0, a freelance writer and communications strategy expert in my second home of San Francisco. Today, an indictment was unsealed, charging Donald J. Trump with conspiring to defraud the United States, conspiring to disenfranchise voters, and conspiring and attempting to obstruct an official proceeding. I encourage everyone to read it in full. The attack on our nation's capital on January 6th, 2021, was an unprecedented assault on the seat of American democracy. As described in the indictment, it was fueled by lies. Lies by the defendant targeted at obstructing a bedrock function of the U.S. government, the nation's process of collecting, counting, and certifying the results of the presidential election. The men and women of law enforcement who defended the U.S. Capitol on January 6th are heroes. They are patriots and they are the very best of us. They did not just defend a building or the people sheltering in it. They put their lives in the line to defend who we are as a country and as a people. They defended the very institutions and principles that define the United States. This week's indictment revolves around Trump's role in the January 6th attack on the Capitol, where his lies played a pivotal role in inciting the crowd to storm the Capitol. He stands accused of spreading lies, false claims about the 2020 presidential election, despite losing. This marks his third criminal indictment within four months, making it the most serious of all those charges he has faced. The case alleges that Trump conspired to obstruct voting and the certification process and to bribe the right to vote and have the votes counted for the American people. Now, despite these legal challenges, Trump remains a front-runner for the Republican Party's 2024 presidential nominee, making him a significant player in the upcoming election, regardless of the outcome of the case. Today, we will explore the potential impact of these indictments on his candidacy and the broader political landscape, considering both his deep unpopularity with many American voters while still having a dedicated base of supporters. Woof. There you go. Where do we start? Why don't we, why don't we start with a good old American, right? <laughs> Considering this panel is festooned full of them. Doug, you haven't been on the show for quite some time. And considering this is a new felt, Doug, I'm going to start with you. First off, why 
as it taken so long for these indictments to be filed against the former president? I think we're going to have to figure that out over the years and in the history books. But what's clear from the charges that were filed is that these charges would not have been filed were it not for the work that was done by the select committee in, in Congress that conducted the January 6th investigation. Because this new indictment tracks almost perfectly to the facts that were revealed in those very dramatic hearings. What the Justice Department was doing regarding the former president before those hearings, don't know. But at least they've moved swiftly since those hearings concluded. The clock is ticking, though. It's not a good scene ahead. Denise, President Joe Biden and Merrick Garland initially didn't really want to pursue Trump for this. Is Doug right? They're completely not to be bounced into this by the January the, the 6th committee. They had nowhere politically to go other than Merrick Garland appointing a special prosecutor. Yeah, I think that what's really interesting about this whole situation is Trump essentially shattered our norms, right? And that's a significant part of this discussion. A lot of the things that Trump did do or, or refused to do were not written down anywhere. They weren't laws. They weren't even policies. They were just, this is what we do. Candidates release their tax returns. They were just like obvious things that everybody knows. And what he did was shattered our norms. And I think that what Merrick Garland and Joe Biden were trying to do. They were trying to restore the norms in a world that I think that that's over. <laughs> we, we can't do the norms anymore. We have to have policies. We have to be a nation of law and order in the truest sense. I understand the temptation to not pursue him. We don't do that. We don't pursue our political adversaries. We don't, but this was so egregious and so outside of the normal behavior to not address it would usher in an entirely new era that nobody wants to see. So I'm glad that they did a special prosecutor because I think there's a different kind of appearance of what is happening here. But it's also deeply sad that we're in this place, right? I'm no Trump fan, but I surely do not want to see our former president in, in shackles. Even as much as I, I find him distasteful, it is a very sad place that we've arrived to. But it's not any sadder than watching people storm the Capitol and wipe excrement on the walls and whatever. Like, we have to address it. And so I think Doug is right. We're in for a, a hell of a ride over the next year. It's going to be bumpy. Z, is Denise right that these norms of, let's say, gentlemanly, and I say that advisably, gentlemanly behavior, there's certain things you do and don't do when you're holding the highest office in the land. Have those completely and irrevocably been shattered? Or can Trump just not be an aberration? No, I, I think that they haven't yet. I think that Trump should be in prison. And I think it's dangerous that mm. we've gotten to a place where he will probably not go to prison for doing this. And it, mm. it worries me in the sense of, where we've been and where we're going and how tumultuous things have been in the recent past and how tumultuous they're going to become. And I think if we set a precedent now of, okay, it was just an insurrection on the Capitol. I don't think that's a good place for us to accept as the new norm. And I think by us not moving forward with putting this man in prison, I think that is opening up the Republican Party to continue to incite violence, really. And it's not as if we haven't had other Western leaders at least be found guilty. Uh, Nicolas Sarkozy, uh, wasn't he, Emma? He's, I think he's wearing a tag or he's going to wear a tag, etc. Would this be so terrible if Donald Trump ended up doing prison time? Emma, you're a great fan of all things American. Your opinion is as valid as anybody's right now. What would the optics be of a former leader of the free world is doing bird. The optics are really bad. The optics of him not doing prison time are possibly worse. That's the problem that you've got. There is no good outcome here. The good outcome was basically trashed when he won in 2016 and then acted as he did throughout his presidency and then in particular when he failed to accept the election result in 2020. 
the poison has long since been running through the bloodstream of not just American politics. Yeah, this has a huge impact on politics around the Western world, certainly. And it really worries me that I don't see a good outcome. I'm not a legal scholar in UK law, never mind American law. I was talking about the the charges on TV this morning up against someone from more from the right. And their argument was very much, this is just lawfare. You don't know what's in Trump's heart. You don't know that he wanted to incite the violence. Looking at the charges, it seems to me that the one that is most clear-cut in this indictment. I think the, the documents case seems pretty clear-cut. There's like a whole load of video and audio of him going, yeah, totally got him, totally know I shouldn't have him. Do you want to see him? But in terms of this one, I think it's the full selectors that will really catch him out because that's not, I think this is unfair. That's not, I believe this is different and I have a First Amendment right to say so. That is, I am taking this very specific action that is against a very specific law. So in some ways, it strikes me that the best possible outcome in terms of the future of American democracy and buy-in from everybody is if he gets found guilty of that and not of one of the other charges. Now, that's a political, not a legal perspective, because if he's undone all of them and they can find the proof, then you send him down for everything. But just in terms of America trying to work its way through this, that might be the outcome that causes the least harm. I don't think there's a non-harmful outcome. Logan, you're our pollster. That's the reason why we get you here as well, to hear about your holiday tales. We'd like to hear that too. But where are the American people sitting with this indictment? Give us the poll numbers. Has the very fact that now he's been indicted, are his poll numbers going up, going down? Where are they? So we do see in the polling that the majority of Americans support the past indictments up to this point um, by a pretty clear line. Um, you know, around 55, 56%, depending on which one you're talking about and how you ask it. Uh, but, you know, it, it's affected the polling in different ways, right? There's two main dimensions in the present, and then there's a third dimension in the future that I think is by far the most important. The first is in the GOP primary. It was incredibly helpful for Donald Trump in the first one, as far as we can tell. At that point, his numbers weren't very good compared to where they are now. They were starting to get better, so you can't exactly draw a direct conclusion for certain. But, you know, he was he was around 45% when the first one dropped, and he went all the way up to uh, 55%. But I think, you know, you never forget your first. That's always the biggest impact. It's the same thing with these indictments. Uh, his numbers went down after the second indictment. It just stayed steady. Probably going to be the same here. Um, with the larger American people, it has made surprisingly almost no impact whatsoever. And I think that's because the people that view Donald Trump as corrupt thought he was getting away with everything. They thought he should be indicted. The ones who didn't and things that the witch hunt still felt that way long beforehand. Um, so, so I think it brings us to the third, which is where it really matters, which isn't necessarily where the polling shows now, but where this is going to go. And I think this indictment, um, is much more two or three times more impactful than the other ones. Cause this isn't just a correct, uh, a possibility of do people think he's corrupt, Right. Uh, most people think that already. Does he scare them? Do they feel okay, even if they don't like Biden, with having him in office? And if this is coming right before the election and they're hearing about attempts to subvert democracy and it's in their face. I mean, we saw in 2022, I, I will fully grant that every other Republican gets held to a different standard by voters than Donald Trump. He gets away with a lot more because um, people that like him feel like he's fighting for them and they feel that people going after him are corrupt. So they'll forgive way more. But for swing voters specifically, you know, we saw candidates that had anything similar to this do really badly. Every single secretary of state, and for those that, you know, aren't following the American side as close, those are the people that run the elections in each state. Um, every single one of a giant slate in most swing states and some beyond um, of candidates that were running on overturning future elections or changing the rules to prevent an election being rigged is what they framed, um, like they say 2020 was. They've all lost outside of one in Kentucky. I mean, and that's Kentucky. That's a very, very red state. So I think this stuff has an impact. I don't think it means it's going to be a landslide or anything. You never know how elections are going to go. But I think this is easily what could make Trump lose the election. And there's a reason Joe Biden is talking about democracy all the time and freedom. It's an extremely powerful argument because at the foundational core of what America is, the things we all hear, at least about America when we're kids in schools, is that we're supposed to be a democracy founded on freedoms. And if you take that away, America doesn't really have anything to stand on. That's It's not apple pie. It's not baseball. Like That is the real foundation. And so I think if that becomes the issue, he loses. 
Gosh, you took the words right out of my mouth. I thought you were going to say the foundational thing of America was apple pie, right? And surely Donald Trump's not railing against apple pie because surely then he's going to go throw, throw the election. But Doug, considering that this man is now thrice indicted and at the core of the latest indictment is him trying to subvert American democracy. And I, I think Emma's uh, spot on the money that it's the false electors. That that's a, because that is a conspiracy. There's no way I, I can believe that this man can talk his way out of that. But who knows, right? I'm only a poor dumb Brit. With that in mind, why are the polls so close with a matchup between Trump and Biden? One of the things that is incredibly disturbing for me as somebody who had been a journalist for a long time, among other things, just as a patriotic American, is the disconnect between the facts and the perception. And in fact, the comments that Emma had to challenge this morning reflect the disinformation. There is nothing in this indictment about Trump saying things that were illegal. This indictment is not about free speech. This indictment is about his actions, the actions that were taken to create the false slates of electors, the actions that were taken to interfere with the congressional certification of the Electoral College votes. These were actions that are criminal under the U.S. law. We have to make people aware of this. Yet, if you watch certain very widely watched news programs, you will hear popular people who are trusted by half of America or more saying this was all about free speech. It's not, but you've got a lot of Republicans and others who think that this is the Biden team going after their opponent. It's not, but that's the belief. How are we going to get people to focus on the facts? I don't have the answer to that. I wish I did. Do we just have to give up the ghost, Denise, and just accept that America is so divided? You have left-leaning people watching MSNBC, right-leaning people watching Fox, One America, et al., that, you know what, people are just going to consume the media that confirms their own bias. So that's the reason why these polls are, are so close. That's the reason why many people just think, ah, oh, this is a nothing burger here. So what, Trump just stood in front of tens of thousands of people, incited them to go and ransack the, the capital, take back uh, American democracy. But, but that's only because they're good, old-fashioned, patriotic Americans. Doesn't it come down to the fact that your country is divided in a way that it hasn't been since the start of the Civil War. And that's it. I wish I could give a different answer, but I think that's a pretty good summary of where we stand. And you know me, I am generally in walk around the earth with inappropriate levels of optimism. But I think next year will be the first true post-truth election we have had in the United States of America. If misinformation and disinformation are bad now, what are we going to do when deep fakes flood the airways? When you can't trust the audio, you can't trust the picture. We have forces that are deeply committed to the misunderstanding and the miseducation of the American people. They profit from it and they solidify a power base from it. And I don't know how we disincentivize that. I wish there was another way to end it, but I think the only way to end it is to let it crash and burn. I think the crash and burn of Trump being arrested. What, the American Republic? You want to know? I think the, to have the logical outcome of the disinformation, right? We're seeing people who I know who are diehard MAGA literally being confronted with, wait a minute. This may not be what I have been told. Like they've got to resolve it themselves as the truth comes to bear. And that means those of us that crave and are committed to truth have to keep doing the work. We can't afford to get discouraged. We can't afford to get disenchanted. You have to keep telling the truth, even though the truth isn't going to be received. And there's a weariness 
a, a hopelessness and a helplessness that I always like to challenge in this political sphere that does not serve us. Trump has to go to jail. He just has to go. Like we gotta keep the pressure on and we have to have a reclamation of our democratic process. Right now, everybody is just hair on fire and that's just not productive. So we have to develop and foster a desire for the truth. And we don't have that right now. And I think there's going to be tons of pain before we get it. I've got a social media platform for you. Truth Social. A lot of truth on there. Just saying. Uh, so appropriately named. <laughs> I think we need to X that out. Truth Social. <laughs> I see what you did there, Doug. Z, are we going to see a record amount of donations for Donald Trump's campaign flooding in the next two or three days? I think that we're going to. The thing that I I don't think appreciates the right word. I think I could find a better word if I had time here. But I, what I do appreciate about the Republican Party in general is that nobody is up there lying about the fact that they don't give a shit about the working class in this country, especially Trump. It's very forward about what his motivation is. And I think that a big issue that we've been faced with is really that the Democratic Party is asleep at the wheel. And there's no part of them are willing to wake up to that fact. If you just look at what happened in the last election, right, and I'll bring back Bernie Sanders time and time again, but it's true. The people wanted Bernie Sanders. The people voted for Bernie Sanders. And when we got to the South and Jim Clyburn got involved and the party got involved and Obama got involved, that's when they decided that was not their choice. Because the Democratic Party are willing to let this country crash and burn to the ground before they allow corporations not be involved in the political system. They are so reliant on the corporations funding their campaigns. That is just not an option that they are willing to do. They will let Trump continue to win time and time again, because it is more important to them that they keep the corporations involved than they make sure that we have a true democratic process in this country. So until that changes, and I don't know how that changes, to be perfectly honest, because I just think it's so corrupt at the top of the DNC, that we're just going to continue to see, it might not be Trump, but there will be iterations of Trump time and time again. Gosh, you took my question to a place I didn't think you were going to take it to, uh, Z. Uh, we need to talk about campaign finance reform, maybe on another podcast. I'm sure Emma will back me up with this. But as a Brit looking at the American political system, it's disgusting the amount of money that you have and how beholden you are to corporations and money isn't free speech. It's, it's just not. It's just buying influence in the most naked uh, of ways. And I remember when I was younger and, and more naive than I am now, and I'm pretty naive and somewhat trusting of people's good nature. But I, I remember the first American election when I really had an idea what was going on. I think it was when Clinton defeated Bush. And I remember hearing that I think it was Merrill Lynch were given, I don't know, let's say $5 million towards Clinton's campaign and $5 million towards Bush's. And I thought, that's great. They're just supporting democracy. But of course, it's a case of hedging your bets and making sure that whoever wins, you have influence at that table. But a younger me thought this, these were just good old corporations defending democracy and free speech. But it is utterly perverse. That is not at all to say that us Brits, just because we don't have that levels of money in our politics, don't suffer from uh, corruption and influence. But anyway, moving on from my little one-man rant, but more power to your sister. Emma, the 45-page indictment accuses Donald Trump of spreading lies that he'd won the 2020 presidential election, and the public prosecution believes that Trump knew he had lost. And I think you made a really good case of saying that it's the, the false electors. That's going to be the tricky thing for him to uh, wriggle out of. Unless he says they just spontaneously just created themselves and were just doing this without any prodding from him at all. God's grace, uh, I believe we did our duty that day. Fulfilled the oath that I'd taken to the Constitution and to the American people. And the Constitution is quite clear about the role of the vice president in the counting of electoral votes. It essentially says the vice president presides over a joint session of Congress where the electoral votes that are certified by the states shall be opened and shall be counted. And irrespective of the indictment, I, I want the American people to know that I had no right to overturn the election. 
And then on that day, President Trump asked me to put him over the Constitution. But I chose the Constitution, and I always will. I really do believe that uh, anyone who puts themselves over the Constitution should never be president of the United States. And anyone who asks someone else to put themselves over the Constitution should never be president of the United States again. I've been very forthright about this issue, and I'll continue to be. Now, with regard to the substance of the indictment, I've, I've been very clear. I had hoped it wouldn't come to this. I had, I had hoped that uh, uh, this issue and the judgment of the president's actions that day would be left to the American people. For my part, I want people to know that I had no right to overturn the election. Uh, and that uh, what the president maintained that day, and frankly has said over and over again over the last two and a half years, is completely false. Trump allegedly has repeated false claims about election fraud, ignoring warnings from people in his inner circle, people like Mike Pence. How significant is it that Pence, who is standing on a soft, not Trump again ticket, today said... That President Trump and his gaggle of crackpot lawyers asked me to reject electoral votes and chaos would have ensued. To keep faith with the oath that I made to the American people and to Almighty God, I did my duty that day. How important is it that somebody who was a, a right hand man of Trump has come out so forcefully today? Yeah, I think this probably is important. Pence is massively underwater in terms of his own bid to be the candidate, he's not going to be the candidate. There doesn't seem to be any prospect of that at all. He may not even get the 40,000 donors that he needs to get onto the first debate stage, and then it's game over. But he was Trump's vice president. There will be a section, not the MAGA section, but the sort of MAGA curious section of the Republicans who will be more open to hearing from Mike Pence that Trump said things like, you're too honest to him, than would be to any surrogate, any Democrat, anyone from the mainstream media. Were I Mike Pence wanted to do the right thing, and it would be unusual for him because he did serve as vice president under Trump for four years, and it was only... If you were Mike Pence, would you just come out and say that you're gay? He is basically aged... Ken, isn't he? <laughs> so I'm not sure he's gay so much as just doesn't have anything down there. But Royfield, why do you do this? Every time you just drag me off into these places. <laughs> <laughs> you know that I'm going to go there. That's the problem. <laughs> I think the thing with Mike Pence, I would drop out of the presidential race. I would say I am clearly going to be a witness in this court case. It is a clash of my interests it, to look like I'm using that role in this legal process to try and defeat my opponent in a primary election because he's not going to win the, the nomination that could make him a future kingmaker and really bring some of the republic electorate not selectorate i would suggest around to being a bit more open-minded isn't maybe one of the reasons why pence is running is actually to manage his reputation going forward. But he can do that by being a witness and doing it through the, the legal process. He doesn't need this particular platform. He's a former vice president of the United States. Logan, Emma has reminded us that there is a threshold that candidates need to attain to be able just to be on that first debate. When is that first debate? And who are the runners and riders who it looks like it's pretty certain that they should be there. I know you've got that crystal ball. You're a soothsayer. You're looking at all the figures. You can work this stuff out. Yeah, I'm actually tracking that at Race to the White House. So I had to pull my own tracker for this. So the debate itself is on August 25th. And for candidates to make it, they have to earn 1% in three polls, three national polls or two national polls and one poll from the early states. So for those who don't know our primary system as well, that's Iowa, New Hampshire, South Carolina, Nevada. Those are the races that tend to narrow the field a little bit. And we get two or three candidates from that point on usually. And then they have to, the part you're talking about with Pence, he has the polls, but you also have to have 40,000 donors. And he doesn't have that much enthusiasm behind him. I think he'll get there, but it's going to be tight. And then the last one, which is the one that might stop Donald Trump from making the debate stage, is you have to pledge, you have to sign a written pledge to support the eventual nominee. Now, like a solid third of the guys who are going to the debate are signing the pledge while admitting they're not really signing the pledge, but they're just going to put their names on the paper anyway. And that's Chris Christie, 
has Asa Hutchinson is, if he gets the donations, will also be in that camp as well. If Mike Pence makes the debate, he'll also be in that camp. And honestly, so will Donald Trump because those guys won't support Donald Trump and Donald Trump won't support anyone else if he's not the nominee. Logan, I have a question. What is the penalty if you break that promise? John Kasich broke that promise and there was no consequence for him. Donald Trump I guess they didn't, I don't I think they, I don't think they actually had to sign a pledge. They just had to raise their hand and say they were going to last time around. But there's no, like, to he didn't. there's no penalty. It says you will then pay us a bunch of money or you will go away and die in a cave. Yeah, I don't think they can do that for First Amendment reasons. They'll be saying shame on you, but they would have said that anyway. No consequences um, beyond what would have otherwise existed. Cool. Cheers. Thank you. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Uh, it's actually not a First Amendment issue. It's just uh, a matter between the party and the candidates. They probably could create a contract that would be enforceable, but the reality is it's politics. And again, it's the norms I was talking about earlier, right? It's none of this stuff kind of matters. It's not codified. You can be as egregious as you want to be. And I think we have been, quite frankly, just shell-shocked by how egregious one can actually be. And so it, these questions, it's a great question of what happens if you say this and you do that? The fact that the answer is nothing is a little problematic, right? We're seeing that we have hundreds of things like that, that we relied on the goodwill of people to honor. And absent that goodwill, we have descended into a really chaotic situation. We're going to go into an election, which was you, Denise, it says it's going to be the first post-truth election, 2024. That's how it's going to be written about in the history books. But just before we go into that election, or a year plus before, before we do, Doug, what exactly should be the agenda which the politicians should be facing? What are the issues which you truly think the American people should be asking of their elected officials other than what should we do with Donald J. Trump? The reality is that regardless of what happens with Trump, we have to address the future of our democratic system of government. Small d, Democrat. If we really are a government of the people, by the people, and for the people, we need to take some meaningful steps to make that happen and to codify some of those norms that Trump has shattered. Otherwise, we're going to have the same fight every four years or every two years or on some frequency. And if there's nothing to prevent somebody else from doing what Trump tried to do but failed doing, somebody who studies what Trump did and does it better is going to succeed if we're not really careful. So that's thing number one. Thing number two is that we really do have some issues to deal with. We've got the threat to Western civilization from Russia's attack and ongoing war against Ukraine. 
that's an existential threat to the Western democracies. The economy, preparing for public health emergencies like the next pandemic, and we're still recovering from COVID. People are still getting sick and dying every day, and we're not doing enough. There's a lot to do. And of course, climate change too. Canada, we've got the earliest fire season ever. And we thought last year was bad. This year is even worse. And we've got an entire political party that is sticking its head in the sand and pretending as if none of these things are happening. Doug makes a compelling case that we need to be wary and, and take action with the climate. Denise, that healthcare and the lack of provision of healthcare is something which has come and bitten my family on the backside. My uncle, who died in California at the, at the start of the year, fundamentally, not that he would have got well if he had health insurance, but he wouldn't have died the way that he did if people had found his health insurance in a timely manner. So th these are all incredibly Im important things. We have widening wealth inequality. We have billionaires who have an outside influence on society and the politics of, of America, et cetera, et cetera. But I know you're a sunny optimist. So I'm throwing this question to you. 58% of Americans express little or no confidence that elections will reflect the public will. So it's all for nothing, isn't it? I am an optimist. You just asked Doug a really powerful question about what is this election about? What are the issues? And I probably have a slightly different answer. I think that the opportunity is before us to define what it means to be an American, to define what the purpose of government is. I think we've really lost our way. I think people have such a negative perception of what is possible and what can happen. So much so that even as Joe Biden is having these successes, the, uh, the things that in any other um, situation would be profound successes, people still feel disenfranchised. They feel disconnected. And I think getting about the business of what are the bread and butter issues that hit people's table, right? People want to buy a house, they want to be able to buy a starter home. They can't because we let BlackRock, Zillow and dominate the starter home market and buy up everything. What are we about if not the American dream, which part and parcel of that is home ownership? We have too many places that we have allowed unfettered, unchecked capitalism to just rob us of our future. We have literally killed the golden goose right? Or in danger of doing so. So for me, what I would like to see discussed is the issues like student loan debt, medical bankruptcy, that you get sick and you have to go, do a GoFundMe to embarrass our country, not be something that we celebrate and normalize. So I think this issue of tackling these bread and butter issues are so critical to restoring confidence in government and government's ability to tackle some of these issues. We have ceded what used to be governmental power to corporate power, and they are not loyal to us. They don't care what happens to us. Jeff Bezos is going to space. Like things that used to be something that governments did, now companies do. So what does that mean for the role of government in our day-to-day -day lives? And it can't be just throw up your hands and give up. It's got to be a recommitment and a little bit of a campaign around re-engaging the American people. So how do we encourage re-engagement? And we're not going to do it unless we talk about the issues they care about. Amen, sister. Amen. Z, so all these issues, the importance of government, civic engagement, health care, campaign finance, the fact that many young Americans can't get on the property ladder and pursue the American dream. All of that's going to be talked about in the, in the next election. It's going to be like a reaffirming of American democracy. Whilst all of that is happening, Donald J. Trump is going to be on trial. Will that be the right timing for such a distraction when America is having its first post-truth election? Really, I think that the what's really going to happen is that Trump is going to ride that wave, just as he did in 2016. And I think that this is what I didn't mention as I was transitioning in the, in the last question. But 
Trump has done a fantastic job at taking on that populist message. Is he truthful in that populist message? Absolutely not. I mean, he's not. He has no plan to help the working class to do any of that. But he's smart enough that he is. He's really. He's going to take that message and run with it. And I think that the big issue is that the Democrats are not going to. So it, or they might, but it's going to be one foot in, one foot out. And that's why Trump is going to do so well financially and why his donations are going to increase exponentially because the working class in this country have got nothing left, right? Like even folks that are considered what what used to be even less than 10 years ago, upper middle class, people making six figures are now living paycheck to paycheck. So the wealth gap has become so incredibly massive that the electorate is now become incredibly massive in terms of who they need to lean on. And so with the absence of folks like Bernie Sanders and with the absence, not only of Bernie, but of an entire Democratic primary, we don't even have a primary. That's why I think, and I would look to Logan in terms of what they think about in in the polls with this and why he's increasing so much in popularity. But my guess would be that's the reason why Trump is going to increase so much in popularity and why he will probably win the next election. I don't think that Biden is really going to have a leg to stand on because at the end of the day, things like canceling student loan debt was one of his biggest campaign promises. And yes, sure, people can argue that he did that, but he didn't do it. He didn't do it to the extent in which we needed to get the economy up and going and have more millennials actually be able to buy houses. I'm going to be 33. And I know a lot of people, I don't know one person that's my age that owns a home. I think that we're really going to be in this post-truth election, that that's going to be the biggest issue. And yeah, that's the biggest fear is that Trump is going to continue to run on this populist message and win. Goodness. There you are, Denise Hamilton lifting me up. Z, you're bringing me down. You're depressing me. Perfect (laughs) antidote is going to be Emma, right? Us Brits are watching all this unfold. The safety of the Atlantic Ocean between us and potential chaos, right? Z talked about the working class. And there aren't too many American commentators and political activists that truly talk about the working class. They always talk about the middle class. That might be a synonym for the working class, but we're suffering from the same erasure in British politics, I believe, where, yes, there's talk of levelling up. That seems to have drifted away. But we have Keir Starmer, the leader of the Labour Party, the party that's supposed to represent the working class, who doesn't really seem to be trumpeting the working class in Britain. Tell me I'm wrong. Tell me the the specific policies which are going to help get rid of Rishi Sunak and 13 years or be 14 years by the time the election comes around of conservative rule that actually at the tip of that spear will be a leader of the Labour Party who's going to trumpet working class concerns and economic woes. So I think you are being a bit pessimistic about Starmer, actually. And I don't say that as someone whose entire job is to support Starmer. I'm critical when I think he deserves it. I'm uncritical when I don't. But actually, this is the first time we've had a Labour leader ahead in the polls who overtly talks about class regularly. He talks about his own journey from being very working class to being a QC. But he also has translated that into two really big areas of policy, one of which is education. And his he was explicit when he was talking about his education promises that this was about levelling up between the classes. Now, levelling up is a vague term that we use in British politics that largely doesn't mean levelling up. In terms of class, it's about regional inequality um, and and actually devolving power out of the capital and into the regions. But in terms of educational levelling up, that really is a class issue. And you can see it when it's been done well. So in London, two years ago, London schools were failing, just failing. They were. There were very few Ofsted outstanding schools. And they absolutely turned them around and they turned them around, not in Hampstead and Highgate, which for our American listeners are the poshest areas of London, but in Tower Hamlets, in Hackney. I know admittedly Hackney's getting more and more posh, which is why I can't afford to live there no more. But but it is, I think Starmer actually has quite an explicit class analysis 
to his politics, which is partly why he pisses off a lot of his middle class members, because he will frame issues that are traditionally cared about by middle class people in a much more working class language, in the same way that Biden's done the Inflation Reduction Act, which is actually a climate change reduction act. Let's let's face it. Um, they are aping that completely in the UK Labour Party. And that's all of the talk about what they're going to do in the next 10 years to get to net zero. And they never talk about net zero anymore. They talk about jobs and energy security and security and security of income, security of housing and, and security that we can pay our bills. And I think that word security is one I know because we hold this at an organisation I work with called the Fabian Society that really works for working class people because what people feel, particularly at the moment in the cost of living crisis, is insecure. I was wrong then. Thank you for telling me that I was wrong. And I need to trust in Starmer more. Logan, you're going to have the last word. Just give us the top line of the runners and riders and where they are in the race to be the Republican nominee for president in 2024? You know, in Iowa, New Hampshire, South Carolina, um, Nevada, maybe. We never have polling in that state, so it's hard to tell. You know, Trump has lost some ground. He's lost 10 points in Iowa. He's lost about the same in New Hampshire in the last few weeks and months. People aren't really talking about it because of his dominance nationally. So I think it's interesting to watch. We're also seeing DeSantis start to decline in those states a lot too, right? So um, in Iowa, Trump's at 44. DeSantis is at 16. Tim Scott, 9%. Vivek uh, Ramzamaway, 5.1. New Hampshire, you're kind of seeing a similar picture. Trump, 41%, way lower than he is nationally. DeSantis dropping like crazy to 14%. Christie's at 8%. That's almost all independents who really don't like Trump. But they're probably going to – I imagine eventually they're going to go to someone else. He's going to be a big factor in the race. But given that he hasn't, isn't going to be able to win over voters, I think they're going to shift. Scott, right behind him again, right? So you're seeing Tim Scott rising everywhere. Same thing in South Carolina. Um, DeSantis falling in those states. So DeSantis could could right the ship. But I think you have a real possibility of Tim Scott more than anyone else here, maybe Vivek, the second most, becoming the, uh, the clear number three guy and finding it out for the number two. Now, to me, what we're looking for in this primary, Trump has got one of those tickets booked out of the early states, almost certainly, unless he ends up being convicted and this thing's over really earlier as some health issue. I don't think that's going to happen. The question is, who's going to get that second ticket? Who's going to be coming out of South Carolina, Nevada, when the field consolidates probably to two people and we have California and Texas and literally one fourth of the delegates in one day, a little more than that, actually, who are going to be those guys running off against them? And are they able to get enough support quickly enough to be able to challenge him? Now, right now, it looks like the answer is no, but things can change. To me, it looks like Scott and DeSantis are the top two guys for that potential spot. So there you go, good people. That has been your second Mid-Atlantic this week. Gosh, I am spoiling a lot of you. But whilst I do have your ears, I've got to remind you, for the love of all things holding for this podcast, please go onto a podcatcher of your choice, preferably Apple Podcasts, and write us a glowing five-star review. It can actually be a, a middling five-star review, as long as it's five stars. That'd be awesome, right? Because basically what it does, it helps other new people get to hear about the podcast, and also it helps to pat me on the back and inflate my ego because it's pretty fragile right now. So a five-star review for Mid-Atlantic would be most awesome. Also, what you need to do is give some flowers to the pundits that you've had on the show. We had Logan Phillips, we had Denise Hamilton, Z, Cohen Sanchez, Emma Burnell, and Doug Levy. Now, Logan, very quickly, sir, tell the good listeners, the good 5,000 people that download every episode, where they can find you on the social media and what you're up to. Yeah, so my social media account is Logan R2WH for Twitter. That's the one I use the most until Elon Musk runs it into the ground, potentially, now that it's X. And I run Race to the White House. That's Race to the WH. And what we try to do is bring you guys as much data to make every political race in the country easy to understand. We predict the Senate, House, governor races and do a lot more depth of the presidential general election than I think you're going to see this early in most places on the GOP primary and the general. So that's Race to the WH. Denise Hamilton, you're up next. I can be found at official DHAM in all the places. I'm the same everywhere I go. Um, my book, Indivisible, is available for pre-order and hits the world on February 6th. I'm super excited about it. Whoop. Z. 
Cohen Sanchez. Over to you. Where can people find you? And what is Soul Strategies up to at the moment? So Soul, we're working on a lot of races, a lot of down ballot races with first time candidates. So if you are a candidate that's looking to run for office, we're here to help. And you can find us at Soul Strategies on our website. We're on every social media platform and it's Soul like the sole of your shoes. So S-O-L-E. Now, we know that you are an expectant political activist right now. If there are any listeners that want to be, want to knit some booties, some little gloves, some little, some little outfits for the little Cohen Sanchez without giving out your address, can they send them to me? Then I can pass them on. I would love that. Yes. That'd be great. <laughs> great. Thank you. Smashing. Emma Burnell. Where can people catch up with you on the socials? And what have you been up to at the moment writing any plays, perchance? Yes, I have my next play coming out in November, if I've managed to have written it by then. My last play was on in June. I am on the socials at Emma Burnell underscore on pretty much all of them, even though I'm useless at most of them. And I'm never off Twitter, even though I wish I were. And I also, you can sign up to my newsletter, Hard Thinking on the Soft Left on Substack. Gotcha. Doug. It's so, so good to see you, sir. I wish, dear listener, you could actually see Doug. Just remind remind everybody, Doug, how much weight you've actually lost. Close to 40 pounds. Woof. There you go, folks. He's looking lean, chiseled. I could cut my hands if I were to rub them over his cheekbones. They're that sharp right now. This man is looking so handsome. Doug Levy, where can people find you on, I was going to say Twitter, on X or Threads or Instagram? Or maybe you've got an OnlyFans account. I don't know. Where do people find you online, Doug? I actually had to ask somebody recently what OnlyFans is. <laughs> I'm a bit sheltered. <laughs> so my social handles do not demonstrate best practices that I recommend to my clients. I actually have to fix this. But for now, on Twitter or whatever you want to call it, I'm SFDoug. And on threads and Instagram, I am DougLevyNY. By coastal. There you go. And it's going to be awesome, good people. When this episode drops, I'm going to see tweets and a retweets from all of your social accounts about how awesome this episode has been and what a wonderful job I did. Don't you, mean, don't you mean X's from all of us? Oh, gosh, yeah. There you go. Oh, <laughs> what, what a dumb move to change the name of something which has gone into the language. It's just bizarre. Anyway... We talked about that last week. Good people, don't forget, left to centre politics is right thinking politics. Take care. Look after yourselves. I've been Royfield Brown. Bye-bye.